If your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Mark chapter 11, which is where we will be taking our text for this morning's sermon. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, we'll begin at verse 12, going to verse 21. Mark 11, verse 12 to 21. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, that is Jesus, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. As far God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is your word that guides us, not men, not our own hearts, but your word. And we pray that your word would shepherd us this morning, me and the rest of the church, Lord, that we would hear the words of our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, and would we be shaped by them and led by them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have something that we would call a living parable. This we've seen as we've walked through the Gospels a number of times. We see that Jesus does a miracle that becomes a miraculous living parable. You notice that the cursing of the fig tree... That story actually is broken into two. You have the beginning of the story where Jesus curses the fig tree. And then you have the end of the story where the fig tree is withered. And you see that it actually ends up being kind of like a sandwich. A fig tree sandwich. A fig sandwich, if you would. And in the middle of that fig sandwich, you have the, the uh, cleansing of the temple. Where Jesus walks into the temple and he rebukes it. Now, there are kids here. Wonderful, good to see the kids here. And there are things that, of course, as you get older, you understand more and more. But even when you're young, you can remember the most important things. You can remember the story. You can remember the story that Jesus is walking with his disciples. And they're on the road. And Jesus is hungry. Might surprise you that Jesus is hungry. But Jesus was a real human. Just like you got hungry, Jesus got hungry. He was an actual real human. And Jesus is on the road, and he's walking to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the temple, and he sees a fig tree full of leaves. 
full of leaves and he's hungry and he walks to the fig tree because he's hungry and he reaches to grab some fruit from the fig tree to make him not hungry anymore and there's no fruit on it. And Jesus says to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him and they were a little confused. And then Jesus goes into the temple and he sees that they are disobeying God in the temple. God's temple, and they are disobeying God. And so Jesus, because he is God, he goes in there and he makes everything right. He gets rid of the people who are disobeying God. They are selling things. They're supposed to sell things in the temple. They're stealing from people. And so he kicks them out of the temple and he gets rid of all their money and their tables. And the leaders of God's people were very upset at Jesus. Because they were act, he was acting like he was the king of God's people. And they thought they were. And then after Jesus leaves the temple, him and his disciples find this tree, this fig tree. And his disciples are pretty surprised to find that it is now all withered up. That what Jesus said about it came true. Here's the most important things about this story. That even if you were a kid, you can remember. The temple was a place where people from every single family, from every single nation, every single language, the temple was the place where they could come and enjoy God. They could talk to him. And the reason they could do that is, even though they were sinners, they disobeyed God, is that God said, I will punish someone else for your sins. Now the New Testament temple. So Jesus came. We no longer have a temple made out of gold. Jesus is the new temple. He is how we can talk to God. And how we know God will listen to us. Because our sins are forgiven. Jesus paid for them. The other thing that you can remember. Is that there is no time. When it's okay for Christians to sin. Some people think that just because you're a Christian, that means that you can disobey God. And God says, no. Sometimes people think that just because they go to church or just because their mom and dad are Christians, that they will go to heaven. And Jesus warns us, that's not true. You don't get to go to heaven just because you go to church or because your mom and dad are Christians. You will be God's kids if you trust in Jesus. If you want to be saved from sin and you trust that Jesus is the only one who could do it and he did it by dying for your sin and being raised from the dead. Our first point is this. The house of God is a place for the prayers of all ethnic groups. That's what it means by all nations. The word would be ethne. The, the house of God is a place for the prayers of all groups, all ethnic groups. First of all, let's look at what was happening because this is what was supposed to happen. It was supposed to be a place where all people groups could gather to worship the God of Israel. That's not what was happening. What was happening? Well, there was money changers in the temple. Jesus walked into the temple and there's tables set up and people are changing money. Why were they doing that? Well, the leaders of God's people made this rule that in order to pay the temple tax, you had to pay it in a certain currency, a currency that people didn't use. It wasn't a currency that was normally used. You had to get it from them. 
And they could charge you whatever rate they wanted to because there was a monopoly. And so they used the courts of the temple as a way to make a lot of money off of people who had no choice but to do exactly what they wanted. You also were to offer sacrifices. Every, every family in Israel was to buy a lamb to be sacrificed for their sins. And the leaders of God's people said, no, 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 don't bring your own. You have to buy it from us. And then, of course, they raised the prices so that they were able to make a lot of money off of it. And they got extra money from God's people. They were abusing people by this. And Jesus called it what it was. This is theft. Taking advantage of people financially is theft. This is not what God intended. This should never have been happening. What should have been happening is that the temple was the place where God's people could enjoy his presence. They could come from all over Israel to pray to him, and they could trust in God's promises the temple was a place where they were reminded of God's promises that he was their God and they were his people. This place was full of blood, full of blood. It smelled like blood because it was a place full of sacrifices for sin and the people were reminded, though the payment for sin, the result of sin, the wages of sin is death, God still wants to be with you even though you are sinners and so he provides sacrifices for your sins. And so these people who knew they were sinners could come into God's presence anyways and enjoy being the people of God. Enjoy his love. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his promises. Now, it was a single location. There was only one place you could do this, one temple in Israel. And you had to go from all of the tribes of Israel, you had to go to gather there. And by this, God was saying, look, everyone is a sinner. But you don't get to make up your own way to come to God. There is only one way, and that is the temple God provides. Now, some people, for, for many of them, it was just cultural. It was a meaningless ritual. They just went to Jerusalem because everybody else did. Or maybe it was a matter of pride. We have the temple. Or maybe some people went as a way to force the God that they hated to do good things for them. Somebody who hated God didn't love him, but like, I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to offer this sacrifice. I'm going to tell God he has to do things for me. But for others... And we met a couple of them in our Christmas series, Anna and Simeon. For others, it was a yearly reminder of God's promises to be near the people who trust in his promises, to be their God and for him, uh, to be, for him to be their God and for them to be his people, to enjoy his promises to forgive their sin and cleanse them. His promises to provide a sacrifice, one day to provide a sacrifice which would finally, once for all, pay for their sins, the Messiah, the temple was a gift from God, which, were, which was to strengthen or bolster believers' confidence in his love and confidence in God's ears to hear their prayers. But it wasn't just for the people of Israel. Did you notice what Jesus said there? My house shall be, what shall it be? A house of prayer for all the nations. This is verse 17. Jesus here is quoting from Isaiah 56. 
the portion that Brother Roger read for us, Isaiah 56. I want to read that for us again. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hands from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuchs say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, who holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer." Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Now, these words in Isaiah 56 follow some of the most famous words in the Bible. In Isaiah 53, where God had promised that there would be a sacrifice for the sins of his people that would last forever. That there would be no sacrifices for sin needed after that. It would be the sacrifice of the Messiah. Isaiah 53. And, these, and, and here we learn that what, what the Messiah is going to do, that he is going to open the temple up. The temple up for people of all nations where you, you didn't need to become Jewish in order to be part of the people of God. This will be open to every single tribe and tongue and nation. And all they needed to do was to keep the covenant or be part of the covenant. Even before this happened. Even when it was true that in order to be part of the people of God, you had to be an Israelite. Even before the Messiah came, God designed the temple in a way that looked forward to the day when the people of God would be a people of all nations. And this, and this is because God had promised that this would be a place where all the people could come. A place where there would be a a court, a court for the Gentiles. Where the people, where the people from all nations could gather And they could participate from a little bit of a distance, but they could participate in the sacrifices and they could hear the promises of God and they could long to join God's people. Now, of course, before the Lord Jesus came, in order to join God's people, they had to become Jewish. That means that for the family, all all the males would have to be circumcised, that they would have to embrace the culture that they would have to take the ceremonies and, and, and do all the ethnic things that God tells them to do, the, the clothing laws. But God made a way for the Gentiles to be drawn in, for the nations to be drawn in and to know the God of Israel. And they were told that one day they would get all the way in to the core of the temple. And Jesus is saying, he is now the way that this will happen. Now, where, why did the, why did the Pharisees choose wrong? 
Well, in this court, this outer court, the court of the Gentiles, this place where they were supposed to allow Gentiles, they had crowded it out. And what did they place there? They placed essentially a marketplace for them to make more money. This is where they would have done this. They, they crowded out the place that was supposed to be kept open for the Gentiles to come in and worship the Lord God of Israel. And the Pharisees chose between welcoming in the nations and making money. They chose making money. I want you to see why they chose wrong. Look at verse 18. This tells us about their heart. Verse 18. After they are rebuked by the Lord Jesus, it says this, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. Why? For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Now, they didn't fear him the way they were supposed to. Why were they afraid of Jesus? Not because they feared God, but because they feared the people. They wanted the praise of the people. They wanted the people to honor them as God only deserved to be honored. And the thing they feared is the people turning away from them rather than fearing what God could do. This means that they didn't love God. They didn't fear him. They loved the praise of men and they feared men, which is a very dangerous thing to happen to you when you are a leader of God's people. Now, Christ himself was the living and true temple. He's the temple to end all temples. Jesus came to accomplish everything that the temple before it provided and represented. Jesus is a holy dwelling place for a sinful people. Jesus is the place, is how you come to know God, even though you are a sinner, how you can be with God how we can enjoy God's presence. Jesus is how we can have the ability to pray to God and to know God and to approach him, knowing that he embraces us in love. Jesus is the temple because he is the place where the sacrifice for sin was made. In his body, that was where the sacrifice for our sin was made. He was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of not just Israel, but the sin of the world. Jesus is the great high priest who offers that sacrifice and he is the lamb who was slain. Jesus is the temple. And Jesus told the people that if they destroyed the temple in three days, it would be built back up again. And he was talking about his own body, that he would be destroyed for the sins of his people, where God would look at his people Look at those who trust in Jesus and he would look at us and he would see sin. And instead of destroying us, he would destroy our temple. Dear friends, that is what happened when the Lord Jesus was hanging on the cross. He saw our sin placed on the Lord Jesus and he destroyed Jesus instead of us. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, which means that he lives forever as our temple and that our sins are forgiven and that if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Not because you have no sin, 
Not because God has decided, I won't punish their sin. No, but because Christ loved you so greatly that he agreed to be crushed instead of you so that you could have access to God, that you could have access to God as your father, that you could pray to him with confidence that he hears you and loves you and will always be with you as your father and your God. Our second point is this. The house of God is to bear fruit in all seasons. The house of God is to bear fruit, bear true fruit in all seasons. Let's look at verses 12 to 14 again. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now this is perplexing. This is strange, isn't it? You could agree this is odd and strange. Why curse a tree for doing what it was supposed to do? Why, why curse it? Well, there's two solutions, and then I'm going to offer a third, and the third is that we don't need a solution, okay? So the first solution is, is this. There, were, there was typically going to be immature fruit that comes right before the leaves come. And people would eat those things, the immature little fruit pieces, and it would satisfy their hunger. And so this is perhaps one of the reasons why Jesus cursed it. It was supposed to have these. It didn't have them. There's another solution, which is that even though the majority of fig trees bore fruit in fall, and it was spring, we know this because it was Passover, not all of them did. And there were some odd varieties of figs that bore fruit in the spring, which made people more excited when they came across one of these trees because they were especially hungry. There's not a lot of figs. Hey, there is one, one of these odd ones. And so this tree should have had figs because it was an odd variety and it didn't. The third solution, and now both of these could be true, the third solution is that we actually don't need a solution. I'll tell you why. First of all, it's a tree, so we don't have to be concerned about Jesus treating it unfairly. It's a tree. That's not fair. You never use the word, that's not fair, when you're talking about a tree. Second, this is an object lesson regarding the temple. We know this because of the fig sandwich, right? Even if there is no explanation as to why we'd expect fruit, it fits really well with some other words of scripture. Consider this. God's words to Timothy, and therefore to every single pastor or leader of God's people. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. Listen to this. See if this sounds a little familiar. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You see how this even fits right now? Preach the word in season and out of season. 
The point is the temple is God's house. And he can come to inspect it at any time. The people can't be like, well, you didn't warn us. We're not ready. At any time that Jesus comes to inspect it, it should be in order. It should be bearing fruit. Now, there is fruit that the Pharisees would have been like, well, look at all the fruit. What do you mean there's no fruit? What do you mean we haven't borne fruit as the temple? Look at all this. It was very active. Look at all the people. Look at all the activity. Look at how successful it is. The courts are full of people. And look, look, can you blame us for trying to find an easier way for people to get sacrifices and, and real money to be able to pay their temple tax? Look at all the sacrifices being offered. Look at all the prayers. And the Pharisees were really good at praying. They prayed really loud and very long. Look at all the fruit, fruit, fruit. Now, God did command certain religious activities, worship activities, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The sacrificing of animals was required. Offering prayers was required. The preaching of the word was required. Celebrating these ceremonies and festivals and Sabbaths, that was required. These worship activities, these religious activities, good. And we are not to ignore those. For us in the New Testament, after Christ, that would be included would be weekly worship services, honoring Christ. The preaching and reading of the word of God. The songs of the congregation singing the truths of Scripture into each other's ears, praying together, offering from our first fruits to support the church's needs, celebrating communion or Lord's Supper and baptism. These things are required, and they're to be enjoyed by people who belong to Christ, but they're not the fruit of the Spirit. You can do all of these things. And look like a Christian, but not know God. And if God were to approach you and say, hey, where's, where's your fruit? You're, you're, not, you're not a Christian. You'd be like, well, look at all these things I do. I go to church all the time. I sing really loud. Galatians 5, to 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against these things, such things, there is no law. Notice that Paul says these things aren't going to break God's law. The fruit of the Spirit would be keeping God's law, loving God and neighbor exactly as God designed you to do, according to what he says love is, not what the culture says love is, not what you say love is, but what God does. And with this spiritual fruit, this is what God would have been looking for when he went into the temple, when Jesus went into the temple. Now, we have to remember that this is not the root. (laughs) This is the fruit. This is not how you become God's people, by producing this kind of fruit. This is not how you become a child of God, is by producing this fruit by making sure you're loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled enough or that you keep God's law enough. That's not how you become God's people, not how you join the temple. No, the root 
is Christ. And faith in Christ connects you to that root, which then makes you a living tree, to use the analogy that Jesus uses. And that tree will produce fruit. It really belongs to Christ. It will produce this real fruit. Now, will it have leaves? Will it have the the prayers and and coming to church and, and singing And reading the Bible, will it have all those leaves? Yes, it will, but it will also have fruit. Fruit of knowing the love of God and treasuring it. And of loving him in return. And because we love God, we keep his commandments. And his commandments are to love our neighbor as ourself. This will produce this fruit. But dear friends, if you took a dead tree... Withered up like that fig tree that Jesus withered. And then you stapled on some apples. It wouldn't make it a living tree. If you took a, it wouldn't make it an apple tree either, would it? And so you do not join God's family by trying to add fruit. But by uniting, by being united to the root, which is Jesus. And how is that done? By faith We are saved by trusting in Christ alone. Our next point, our next point is this. God will judge the whole world, beginning with his own household. When Jesus and his disciples walked past that tree the next day, it was completely withered. And this is a sign for those who claimed to be part of the people of God who maybe even trusted that they were part of the people of God, that they were immune from God's judgment. No, I'm Jewish, or no, I go to the temple, or in our day, no, I'm a Christian. Uh, I I go to church, and so I'm, I'm immune from the judgment of God. That withered fig tree is a sign that simply calling yourself a Christian, or simply going to church, or simply visiting the temple does not mean you are immune from God's judgment. This was prophesied in Malachi chapter 3 that the Messiah would come and inspect the temple and that he would judge the temple. It would be a terrible day and a wonderful, a wonderful day. Over and over again, Israel's problem is that they figured that they were safe from God's judgment safe from all the warnings about what God would do to sinners simply because they were Jewish or they were related to Abraham or maybe because they visited the temple. And over and over and over again, God's prophets said, that will not save you. What will save you is trusting in the gospel promises of God and turning away from sin. Now, there were huge advantages to have the temple and have the law. But they only were advantages if they trusted in the gospel. Simply having access to the Bible, simply having memorized the Bible, maybe you have 18 copies of the Bible, is not enough. That will not make you immune from the judgment of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 We read this, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is is scarcely saved, 
then uh, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to, the faithful, to a faithful creator while doing good. Dear friends, it does us no good to spend time complaining about the sins of the pagan world while embracing sin ourselves. If we feel comfortable disobeying or ignoring some of God's commands, so long as we are officially Christians or maybe born into a Christian home or we, we make sure we don't do the sins that the pagan world does. We, we pick Christian sins to do. The churches can be judged. The Lord Jesus says this in Revelation chapter 2 where he writes these letters to the churches and he warns them that they could disobey and ignore him so much so that even though they call themselves a church, even, even though they call in the name of Christ, even though they baptize and they, they celebrate communion, even though they have the Bible, the Lord Jesus says, you're not a church anymore. I, I, I look at you and you call yourself a church. You're not a church. I will, he uses the words, remove your lampstand. And the lampstand was the place, it was the, the, the furniture article in the temple that showed that God's presence was there. And God said, I will judge, Jesus says, if you do not repent as a church, you're no longer a church anymore. You're play acting. It's not really me who you're worshiping. You're not my people. I'm not your God. This also is a warning to us that church members can go to hell. Church members can go to hell. No one who's part of Christ's one true church, will go to hell. That is entered by true faith in the actual gospel, and he will guard your faith as we sang. I am his, and he is mine, and I will be his forever. He will keep you in faith, and he will discipline you. He will judge you in, in a way to bring you to repentance, and he will make sure that you don't let go of your faith, and he will draw you back. He will chase you down. He will get you when you are straying. But for those who ignore his warnings, as the gospel goes from maybe brothers and sisters in Christ who, 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 who warn you, hey, you're straying, and they say, leave me alone. Quit judging me. This is the evidence of God judging the household of God. People who are false converts, false Christians, who maybe have produced some leafy leaves, but don't really know God. And Jesus says in Matthew 25, to people who call him Lord, Lord, I never knew you. This should cause us to consider our sin. And to be concerned with our sin. There is only one sinless member of the household of God. His name is Jesus. An inspection of the temple of your heart would reveal sin. It would reveal that you too deserve judgment. The kind of judgment that the fig tree received. And which the temple received 40 years after Christ's death. So, dear friend, hide yourself in the true temple, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our fourth point. We'll close with these words. Hide yourself in Christ Jesus, the living and eternal temple of God.
Christ was condemned for saying that if his temple was destroyed, he'd build it up in three days, referring to his body. And he was standing in the temple that had taken 46 years to build. And he was destroyed for the sins of his actual people. For people who are broken by their sin, who hate their sin, who long to be reconciled to God, who want to be God's children and hate the fact that they sin against him and they hear the gospel of Christ and thank God that he has provided a way to be God's people. For those people, for those people, they can be assured that there is no condemnation for them. Not because God does not hate their sin and not because they do not have sin. But because 2,000 years ago, their temple was inspected. Their sin was considered by God. And God crushed someone else instead of them. And he raised Christ up from the dead to to show that Jesus was actually sinless and that all who trust in him will be raised from the dead, forgiven unto eternal life. Friend, your only hope is to hide yourself in Christ. Not to hide yourself in prayers or in Bible reading or in church attendance. Not in singing, but in Christ. He alone is the sacrifice that can truly pay for your sin. He alone is the only sinless member of the household of God. He is the true and living temple. Hide yourself in Christ. Your sins will be forgiven. And not only are your sins forgiven, now you get to enjoy all the benefits of the temple. The glorious presence of God is yours all the time. Not just once a year. Not just once a week. But God is always with you. You are always with God and he is always with you. He is in you and you are in him. And you have full access to draw confidently to him. Because the way has been made by Christ, the sinless one. And so you can always approach God with confidence as your father. Church, hide yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ the true and living temple. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a sinless temple. And though our hearts contain much sin, Lord, we are rejoicing that Christ was crushed instead of us. Lord, that withered fig tree is a picture of what would have happened to us in hell if you had not sent Christ for our sins. It is also a picture of what happened to Christ when he died instead of us. That you cursed him with our curse. That he took the curse that we deserved so that we could enjoy full, permanent, glorious, beloved access to you for eternity. Oh Lord, let us treasure that. And Lord, let us, as your people, Be eager to have the temple of our hearts cleansed. When Christ's word tells us to repent, Lord, I pray you would give us the strength to love that warning from whomever it comes, 
even if we think that person's more sinful than us. And that we would be eager to be cleansed by Christ. Lord, I pray that you would find us waiting for you when you return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.